Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. your host with the most, Tiny Tim. All right, what's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today we're going to talk about closing the circle at the triangle with my friend Danielle Borges. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Real well. I haven't seen you in about, I'd say, five years other than once or twice, I think, over the holiday on the streets when you came. Yep, small island. Back to the beautiful island. Maybe exactly. Maybe a grocery store or something like that. Yeah, I'm probably down at TNC. Yeah. Walking Winslow. That's the good food there. Yep. How's your mom? Mom's doing well. She's on the island. I actually moved back to the island just almost a year ago now. So. How long have you been out of UW? Uh, two years now. Wow. Yeah. Going so on what, what are you, 24 now, 25? 23 turning 24. Nice. But you're ahead of the curve. I, I can tell. A little bit. <laughs> nice. Not quite sure, though. <laughs> Danielle um, is another guest of mine who actually was a former soccer player that uh, played soccer with me. And when was, the la- when was the last time you kicked a ball around? Last time I kicked a ball around was in Ethiopia with the kids at the orphanage. We play soccer all the time together. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, You got a lot of... Um, 
travel under your belt. You got a lot of projects uh, going. I know we're talking about food waste and composting today, but let's talk about these trips that you've made, such as the trip to Ethiopia. Yeah, the trip to Ethiopia has been a little bit more of a recent tangent to my journey, but I started traveling five years ago close to six now, when I started an independent research project at the University of Washington. And so it was with that project that led me down to the Peruvian Amazon, where I started working with remote developing communities on education, waste, and water systems. And that's what ended up coming to form the organization Connect3. And that's what then connected me to Ethiopia and this orphanage called Uriati's Village. So I now work as a programs manager for them, as well as implement education, waste, and water systems in Soto, Ethiopia. And Connect3 is your business, correct? Correct, yes. you, a little entrepreneur straight out of college. <laughs> Just kind of happened. Really yeah. grateful for it, though. Well, you're quite the environmental steward, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. Hopefully you're talking the talk today. That's why we're here. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> um, is this the path that you were taking in college? Yes, so I was a direct admin into the Department of Environmental Studies at the University of Washington. It's called the Program on the Environment. And it was fantastic, like allowed me a lot of freedom to be able to develop my own project, but had some really formative classes to be able to help point me in the right direction. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what um, Connect 3 does. Mm -hmm. Almost said Connect 4, like I'm playing checkers. (laughs) No. So Connect 3 We are really trying to understand the basis of a community. And so what I recognized when I first went down to Peru is that there was a whole bunch of aid projects happening, but they didn't really take the time to understand why they were seeing what they were seeing and why the communities were doing what they were doing. And so I ended up dedicating my time to try and understand this and to develop a methodology to be able to go in and get that baseline. And so what I found is that there are three pillars to community development, and that's education, waste, and water. So to be able to have any sort of sustainable projects on hand, you need to have the three pillars. You need to have the education around it, the relevant understanding of what's going on, how it affects you, the the interface between the human and the environment, the social, the economic, um, the environmental. And then water is the one resource that we all need. And so it not only has to be safe, but then if you come to study the water, you can also really understand the relationships within the area because water is going to be the thing that they most heavily regulate. And so when you go in and you start taking water samples, you're also trying to understand how that water is allocated and who's in charge of it. And all of a sudden that brings up both the informal and the formal governance of the region. And then with waste management, that is something that all humans face every day. And that's probably the biggest direct impact that we have on the environment and how we deal with that. And that is something that everybody's exploring right now as there's newer technologies, there's different materials. We're growing at a rate that we've never been able to grow before. And communities all of a sudden have resources that they never knew that they could potentially have or how to handle those. And especially in these remote areas, it can be really dangerous to have all of a sudden wastes that are managed improperly. And especially if you're not looking at the waste, 
the water systems are going to continually get contaminated. And then if you don't have the education around all of those things, each one is going to be dependent on whatever entity comes in to implement. And so it's really about empowering the local community to be able to uplift themselves. Yeah, we look at the pictures of the huge piles of garbage in third world countries and stuff like that just sitting there and spreading disease. And you look at Skid Row and mm-hmm. all all the waste there and such. But I mean, even on a hyper-local, you know, I was in TNC yesterday and the lady was like, you want a bag? I was like, no, I carried it up here. I carry it out. Right. But the lady in front of me bought a bunch of organics, but like two shallots, two bananas, <laughs> uh, two onions, you know, just like two of everything. And she... She brought her tote, you know, because there's mm-hmm. that tote's life. Yep. <laughs> which that's kind of a misnomer, too, is, is the totes are a good thing for, for the world. Um, and she's, like, so proud of her little tote bag there. And I was looking at it, and I was like, you, we have a plastic bag ban on the island, so you can't get a plastic bag. But in the produce department, in the meat department, there's plastic bags galore. Everywhere. So she put all this fruits and vegetables, which is a huge pet peeve of mine, because aren't you going to take that home and wash it anyway? So Why do you need the plastic bag to get it there? What are you protecting it from? (laughs) And then food starts to rot in those plastic bags quicker as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's lack oxygen or something for the plants. Um, So she walked out of there with like 22 bags, (laughs) plastic bags. But at least she has her tote bag. Yeah. And I wanted to just like first slap her across the face and say, wake up. (laughs) But then I was like, how do I broach this conversation with this stranger in a supermarket and tell her that what she's doing is having an effect on my my earth as well in Mm -hmm. in my community? And single plastic use is just a, a huge problem. How do you see the world's waste going right now? I feel like we're having a hard time dealing with waste management. It is overwhelming. But also, I think that the biggest thing that we can do is have those small conversations. So it may seem super awkward at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it, you, you don't need to force it. But if there's ever that opportunity, everybody needs to raise their awareness of their actions. And I think the biggest thing is that this problem seems so large right now that your own personal actions can get lost in that. Mm -hmm. But that's how it's going to change is we all need to become more conscious of each one of our own actions and start standing up for what we want our community to do and look like. Because it's going to start changing community by community. And as long as we can start to self-contain and no longer outsource our own waste and become self-sufficient, that's how we're going to start mitigating just that out of sight, out of mind type of thing that ends up creating those huge landfills, the plastic gyres in the ocean. I mean, once you lose sight of your waste... That's where the problem begins. Yeah, and it's everywhere. You see even the like the cardboard, like let's say you get a group of f- mushrooms or or tomatoes and you have that slick cardboard mm-hmm. and then saran wrap basically 
or cling wrap. So I guess Saran's a brand, right? You know, like we say Band-Aid when it's really sheer adhesive right. strip. Right. <laughs> and I never think of those things. So we get, true. <laughs> we get programmed like yeah. that. And we get this organic food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that, that cardboard has a coating on it. Mm-hmm. So it's not recyclable. No, and like tissue boxes, big ones. So the little plastic film that mm-hmm. goes around the opening where you take your tissue out. You actually have to take that plastic film out to be able to recycle it. Yeah, and it's it's confusing what's compostable, recyclable, and what's waste. I have a bit of a theory about recycling, but how do you feel recycling fits into the whole sc- scope of it? Because I, I really feel like recycling is kind of a dead thing because it takes so much water to wash your plastics out and put them in the, in the recycling bin. Most newspaper and cardboard is um, compostable. Right? Mm-hmm. We're not making things out of aluminum and glass anymore. So I feel like the process pollutes the air to recycle these things. A lot of these things are too dirty to go into the recycling, and it's not cost-effective to clean them. So they go in the landfills. Is I... recycling starting to die in some fashion? Or when are we no. going to get to reuse you know, reduce, reuse right. before we get to recycle. Well, I think there's a lot of different facets to that question. But there has actually been a lot of recent technology that's really improved recycling. And so at this point, you can recycle more materials than you ever could have before. And like especially within Bainbridge and Seattle, you can now even take a lot of those plastic wrappers and recycle the plastic wrappers and the plastic bags. And that's huge because for a long time, you know, you could only recycle that certain type of plastic and no mm-hmm. one ever could keep track of, you know, like what number it was. What number it was and do you recycle the cap? Do you don't recycle the cap? All those pieces. Do I need to cut that little plastic ring off my plastic bottle? <laughs> right. And all of a sudden you start questioning it all. But at this point, recycling facilities are being able to recognize that that was a huge barrier and improve their technologies to the point where we have more energy efficient machines that can melt it down and start creating materials that are more usable from a more varied selection of what can be recycled. And it doesn't have to be quite as sorted, but... To deal with the amount of waste that we have, recycling has to be one of the facets in there. But absolutely, we need to focus on reducing our waste and reusing. Start thinking about, you know, like what is the lifespan on the thing that you're buying? And do you really need it? Do you have something at home that could probably do the same thing? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like it just it's it's starting to shift that mentality from very right here right now to the larger scale and not be so reactionary of like oh man i forgot my fork i might grab another plastic fork mm-hmm. i'm gonna take one for the road and put four in my glove box in case i forget yeah. them consistently you know like there's so many things that we do the little uh, condiments of ketchup or yep. whatever you know those are all individual plastics too and i think it, it it's how you regulate your habitual behavior mm-hmm. right so like when it comes to water i buy the aluminum mm-hmm. as opposed to the plastic i have a lot of water bottles so i reuse it when it comes to coffee or tea i 
don't have that habit of always bringing my teacup with mm-hmm. me or um, coffee cup or travel mug. When it's very habitual, you know, what it is in terms of your material use. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think if we come back to that whole idea that we just need to raise awareness in our own consciousness of our habits and it's completely intergenerational. You know, like your mm-hmm. habits are dependent on your parents' habits and how you grew up with materials and your relationship to them. And so stepping back to a, like a, a macro level, I think what I also find is that through this whole work, I'm really trying to open up the space and conversation to have people reconnect with their environment and find a sense of place. If you have that deep connection to the environment and have a love for nature, you're so much more likely to be conscious of protecting it. And be that steward of the land. And be that steward. But today, almost everything in society creates more and more distance between us. Yeah. Let's not get into politics, though. No. That's (laughs) not allowed. (laughs) So I could go on and on about recycling and water because those are very uh, interesting subjects to me. But we're here to talk about the proposed um, closing of the circle at the triangle. And the circle is reference to closing Closing the loop. loop. And then the triangle is reference to an area on the island here that has three roads on side. Or why do they call it the triangle? Is it just triangle shaped? It's triangle-shaped, and then you have, well, <laughs> with a triangle, you have three sides. So, <laughs> yes. Wow, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that way. I couldn't be more intelligent when I speak. <laughs> and so I don't think that there's a whole lot more to read into with the name of that property, but mm-hmm. maybe so, something else could be created of it. Your mom's the CEO of Avatera. Is that how you pronounce yep, it? Yes, you got it. And then you have some investors in it. But Mm -hmm. Avatera is a composting solution, environmental steward type business, correct? Yep. And technology. So I think it's also important to recognize that it's a new technology that we got going. This is not your only project here on Bainbridge Island. No. You have multiple projects. Are they all similar in scale and um, what you're doing? Yes. And no. There's... Tell me about Avatar. <laughs> okay. Tell us all about Avatar. <laughs> like, that's an open ended question. So, I guess I'll start with my role. First of all, I'm just coming in as a concerned citizen. Uh, you know, like I've been off working in these remote communities on waste management, and I've made the decision to come back and live on Bainbridge Island. And I wanted to get involved with my local community. And this was the natural fit. And it was honestly very shocking coming into this environment after where I was working and recognizing how difficult it was to even have a conversation about this. And Bainbridge is an incredible place. You know, like I do find roots in community here and I've chosen to come back. And because of that, I feel very invested in how my community is shaped. And then I don't have any direct ties to the company. However, yeah, you do. Well, my Your mom's mom the CEO, <laughs> <laughs> but like in terms of work related things, other than the fact that 
given a new definition to child labor laws. <laughs> I know. Maybe I should question my mom a little bit more on that one. Yeah. Um, but we will put in a composting unit at the orphanage, and we implemented a very basic form of the technology in the capital of the region that I was working in in Peru. And so I've spent a lot of time. I spent the four years at the University of Washington researching compost and how to deal with organics. And I really ended up strongly believing in this technology and that is not necessarily just because it was the one that my mom has been working on. I worked with multiple different composting and biodigester companies and this just made the most sense and I think it is a really integrative technology where you can have it be as fancy as you want it to be, but you can also strip it down so it can meet a community wherever they need to be met. Um, so that's a little bit of background on kind of how I came into it. But then with Avatera, we have an operating unit at a barn on the island off of 305 Eos Ranch, Phil Lador's, bought the first unit, and he's opened up the property to anybody that would come and who would like to look at it. Um, he is a strong believer that being able to actually see it is beneficial because you can stand there and try and smell things and there's nothing to smell and it's all horse manure actually. And so that's always a big concern as people hear manure. Poop. Does he have that equestrian um, site on the corner of 305? And Yes, that's also his. So that's oh, our okay. like, that's our jumping field. And did your mom's... Um idea about this come from the the mucking of the stalls and uh, her equestrian uh, connections and such? Yeah. So a long, long time ago, my mom and Phil uh, shared were business partners off of 305 at Haven Farm. And that is the barn that then Phil bought out and is now a private facility. And my mom has moved her horse training to another facility. But it was there maybe 10, 12 years ago now that we ran into a lot of problems with how to handle our horse manure. We had over 40 horses. There's a lot of poop. And it's difficult to manage, especially when there's no infrastructure to be able to support that kind of waste. Mm-hmm. What would you do? So we ended up creating a partnership with Suimatsu Farm. Mm-hmm. And they would just take truckloads of it and use it on their fields. And that worked for a long time. But my mom also then started to think about how to scale this. And like that was a great personal relationship we had with that farm. But that's not feasible for every single barn and facility to do. Mm-hmm. And so what can be done to be able to contain and control this manure, but then also try and find some worth in it. You know, like this is high nutrient rich material that can be used for crops and landscaping. 100% vegan. 100% vegan. And also what's been really cool is my, my mom wanted to make sure that it was user friendly. She's a big gardener. My grandma's a big gardener. Like we also saw that sometimes when you take 
manure of any animal. You put it on your garden, and because of the seeds, all of a sudden you have random stuff popping Mm -hmm. up in your garden. You got hay in the garden. Yeah, and that's not quite where you want it. And so with these in-vessel machines, you get to high enough temperatures that all the pathogens and seeds are killed. And so that was a huge plus. And then you also had the ability to sort the bedding in the manure. And I don't know if you know, well, actually you probably do because you take care of a lot of livestock, but Mm -hmm. the bedding costs money and you use so much of it. And there's still good stuff. Yeah, it's biodegradable. Yeah, you know, like... It's just difficult sometimes straw or wood chips, yeah. to be able to sort that. And so one component of these vessels is that they'll sort the bedding and you can actually reuse that bedding. And so that is how she went down this road. And then all of a sudden she recognized that there was a lot of opportunities on a community level, mm-hmm. on a human level, to start implementing these the company has gotten a lot of traction in the horse world, so it's a lot of barns that have op- opted into this. And the city of Bainbridge is the first more community-oriented facility that Avatar is working on. But it really doesn't differ that much. What ends up just changing are the recipes that are used that goes into these batches. And specifically for the one on the island... This is still small scale. Realistically, to be able to handle the amount of waste that's on the island, we're going to need multiple of them. And so that's really what the conversation was that we were trying to have the city and start now three years ago, was just how do we start planning for the amount of waste that Bainbridge is accumulating and what we're doing right now is not sustainable economically or environmentally. Mm -hmm. You know, like our organics have to get shipped off island. To Eastern Washington. And then we turn wow. around in Eastern Washington so and buy organic material to bring back to the island for landscaping. So, when, and are you talking about when it goes in the green bucket for the mm-hmm. Bainbridge Island Disposal Company, they ship the green buckets out to Eastern Washington? That is correct. Wow. I yeah. always wondered where it went. I know. It's like magic. And why is there not a compost, uh, industrial composter at the disposal station? They have not had the resources or capacity to implement one themselves. And How's that? They're a big company, and they already have the site, and they're picking up all three buckets, your garbage, mm-hmm. your recycle, and then your green waste. they got to take it down there. Well, where, where do they ship the recycling off to? Do you know? I am I'm not sure about that. Mm-mm. Hmm. I know. Inquiring minds want to know what you're doing, BI Disposal. <laughs> That's a. I would love to have a conversation with them too. We have I've tried. <laughs> oh, you, oh, okay. Yep. Um, so what I know about that that actually brings up a good topic with the transfer station mm-hmm. and Bainbridge disposal is I get it. That's a logical place to put the compost facility, and we tried that with the city, except the plot of land that we would use would have to be clear cut. And that did not go through with the city. Seems like there's no space there. Not for the compost facility to be integrated in with 
what's already happening at the transfer station. We would have to have a plot of land that would clear cut back. Hmm. And in terms of the different zoning that the city is going through right now, we would not be able to clear what we needed to clear. Okay. I want to get into the, how this procedure and the machine and all that, all Mm -hmm. that works, but let's jump into, since we're talking about the city so much, the triangle space is zoned differently, and this has been referred to as a heavy industrial type project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's – is this a privately owned piece of property? I heard it was um, a sand mine r- run by the state. And yes. was it also a toxic dump site at one point? And then there's also underlying aquifer 260 feet down below it. Tell me what all (laughs) these issues that um, are – so I did a poll and 77 people replied Mm -hmm. and it was 50-50, yes Mm -hmm. versus no for this idea and I gave no information. Yeah. And that was just a random poll. But working in different government circles here on the island and having conversations, there's there's a lot of roadblocks, I think. Um, Tell me how you're going to jump over these. I know you were – did you do hurdles in track or did you just run long distance? Yeah, I thought you were a hurdler. Yep. I loved my 300 meter hurdles. Yeah, you, you, you could run quite easily. I remember that. So runner, yes. horse rider, environmental <laughs> steward. How are you getting over these hurdles that um, are coming up against Kobe, the city of Bainbridge Island, and the zoning and the aquifer and the industrial um, part of this? All great questions. I didn't mean to throw them all at you, like <laughs> 10 Let's balls in the air. get into it. I'm yeah. ready, though. All right, shoot. <laughs> so I'm going to start with, I come at this only from my own personal experiences. And for me, what I have immediately understood with the city of Bainbridge is that we are running right now off of emotional arguments and opinions. There is very few people out there right now that have the facts surrounding the triangle property and the proposed compost facility. And so how we're going to start breaking through those barriers is opening up that space to be able to have a conversation that is fact-based. And to me, that starts with the history of the triangle property and it's all in open public domain through the DNR. And so DNR meaning Department of Natural Resources. Okay. Before I you get knew to that, you were going to test me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an acronym guy and some people uh, just throw out acronyms and thinking everybody would understand that. Well, you're going to share the facts with me. I love that, but mm-hmm. uh, I got to pay some bills, so we're going to pause here for a quick commercial. No problem. Time to pay the bills. Support for The Bystander comes from Manscaped, who is the best in the men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code TINY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code TINY. Please support the podcast and get yourself a Manscaped Precision Toolkit today. And we're back. Wow. We're back. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> um, tell me. 
Okay, well, first of all, the Triangle property has had a rough history. And even stepping back to a macro level of Bainbridge Island, we don't have a super environmental record either. On a national scale, we're mostly known as one of those super fun sites. Mm-hmm. That takes 30 years to clean. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that if anything, we all just have this opportunity to start changing that rhetoric. And especially when we have a piece of land like the Triangle property that has every reason to be reclaimed, we should do it and we should do it right. And the information is public, like I had said before. And so with there being so many concerned citizens, which I get and I absolutely respect, I also ask that it's out of founded fact that that's why we're here to here today so you can you can preach these facts so people can relax are there and i think the biggest thing is that the dnr has been running water samples for years and there's actually no contaminated water coming from the site right now however there is potential and so what i think we just have to remember is that Bainbridge Island is an island. We mostly are running off of private wells. Aquifers are very close to the surface. And when you have a site like the mine, it's a lot of open gravel. And gravel and sand are the most permeable surfaces. And so even if we were going to have a compost facility there or not, we would have to bring compost and organic material into the property to be able to reclaim it. And I actually really wanted to share a piece from Avatera's science team. We have a board of advisors, and our two main people are Dr. Caitlin Price from Washington State University, who's a PhD soil, t- soil scientist, as well as... Pat Milner from the University of Maryland, who is the lead soil and compost scientist for the USDA. And both of them are our head advisors. And so going into this, we wanted to have all the research done because we wanted to be able to give confidence to the community. And so Caitlin's piece, I think, is just worth a little bit of a read. So I'm just going to go ahead and read her statement about what she thinks about the triangle property and what compost could do for it. Okay. So composting is a great tool for remediating contaminated soils because the fungi and bacteria that do the work in the compost pile will degrade and eat many common organic contaminants like hydrocarbons and pesticides. While heavy metals are not degraded like organic contaminants, they are bound by compost and soil organic matter, which keeps them out of the water and out of the food chain. Research done by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, so the USDA, who Pat Milner works for, with urban soils contaminated by lead-based paint or zinc smelter facilities found that compost is highly affected at immobilizing heavy metals in the soil. Researchers at the Virginia Polytechnical Institute used yard waste to compost to remediate barren land contaminated with heavy metals from mining and convert it to agricultural land for growing corn and peanuts. 
Heavily distributed soils, uh, sorry, heavily disturbed soils from gravel mines, road construction, etc., are very vulnerable to erosion and have typically lost any topsoil that was there. Compost or some other form of organic-like material is critical for restoring the condition of these soils. In a site like the Triangle Road property, there is no life and nothing left on the disturbed area to slow erosion or absorb or not absorb nutrients and contaminants that would flow across or through the site and get into the groundwater or surface water. It, is the, it currently has the most perme- permeable surface possible. Regardless of whether or not the compost facility goes here, the land needs truckloads of compost to heal the soil and support plant life. My first question is... Yes. That property and that sand mine is run by the state, not the city. Mm-hmm. How do you get that piece of property even available to yourself? So there is an owner of the property, and we have had the conversation, Avatera, uh, with that owner, and we would have a lease-to-buy contract. He's ready to go ahead and move forward with that. I want to make it clear that we do not have that <laughs> right now, Avatera does not have responsibility over the property at this time, but it is in the works and we're lined up if the city says yes for us to be able to take control of that property. And here's a private entity that wants to take a hold of probably the most disturbed site on Bainbridge Island. To me, that's a win-win. Is it more disturbed than Creosote Park? Well, at least we already started going through the remediation process of that. Right now, this is uncontrolled. No one's taking responsibility for it. There's no accountability. Through a private compost company, they have to be regulated and monitored by the state on everything that they do. And so whether you're talking about smell, whether you're talking about leachate, everything has to be monitored monthly and is checked. And if something's out of whack, Avatera shuts down. So, I mean, in terms of the concerns from the citizens around that area, I actually would feel more comfortable with a food waste plant there than sand mine. And also, I want to clarify that it's not a food waste. We're taking organics and it's mostly going to be yard waste, green materials that are going onto the property. Will you be taking and, manure? And there? horse and manure will be able to be um, processed on site. And I think you're going direction of smell potentially um yes but I, s- okay. I, don't, I don't i don't think smell smells not my big problem uh, neighbors i'm sure are like oh it's gonna stink up the place there's gonna be rats everywhere but this tell me if i'm wrong this is a massive machine right it's not like the manure is setting out in the open in big piles well, right exactly and so that also is something that's been a huge pro in terms of having this technology developed by somebody who has run a barn for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. We get and understand poop. We understand how it smells, what happens day one, what happens day 17. Um, but what's most important to recognize is that smell comes from a pile that is left that does not get mixed and does not have oxygen readily flowing through the material. And so to mitigate that, part of Avatera's technology is that once the 
once the load comes, it immediately starts going into processing. And so the mats that are actually holding the material right before it goes into the vessel are aerated and completely controlled. And so there's not even going to be smell coming from the holding pads. And so... That aeration, there's Mm -hmm. some type of... uh air trough going through that machine or something like that? Is that how you do that? Yeah, so you can have aeration in the, in the holding pads and it's pipes that go through the material and then you just have air that's circulating through that. And then once you actually get it in the vessel, you, it's an auger-based system. And so you have an auger, like a big old screw, mm-hmm. that mixes the material that's run on a track. And so it's very quiet, teeny tiny motor, but it just goes ahead and mixes that whole whole batch of material to keep it uniform and at temperature with oxygen. So then you're not only keeping it at temperature, with which kills bacteria, pathogens, seeds, but it also keeps the airflow high so then it's not smelling. What happens with the methane gas? You have very low, low, low rates of methane with the materials that we have because it's not a biodigester. Okay. Um I think there's concern about the zoning at this property. Mm-hmm. You would have to change the zoning if Kobe, the city of Bainbridge Island, decides to rezone this property for this idea. There's a fear that that's going to kind of have a domino effect um, around the island. And we have the critical area ordinance and the moratorium on building and stuff. How do, how does this affect that, and how do you get around it to get the zoning to even start this project? Great question. Because currently, there is no property on Bainbridge Island, according to the current zoning, that could support such a facility. No property. And so we're running into difficulties because the current definition of a compost facility falls under waste management and the city's zoning and permitting requirements don't allow a facility such as this anywhere on the island without some sort of amendments and or conditional use permit, which is what we're trying to do with the Triangle property. And like conditional a conditional use permit. Mm-hmm. And so that's where this is a greater city question. You know, like I will say that in 2016, we had a comprehensive plan in terms of where we wanted to go as a community in terms mm-hmm. of su- sustainability. Right. We've not made much progress. In 2019, the second most important thing that they wanted to get done was waste management. There's no infrastructure to support it. And there's not even the opportunity to start implementing the infrastructure because our zoning and permitting stops us before we can even start figuring out what type of options there are. And so that's just where I want to be a voice that says, I'm looking at my generation and the effects that it will have on my children on, you know, like my peers' generations' decisions around do we have kids? Do we don't have kids? I mean, I know this got like big real quick, but I was at 
the public hearing and I sat there and I recognized that my voice was not being heard or even recognized by the city. And it was a group of older, retired members of the community who were planning, but they aren't planning for the future. They're planning for right now. And there's very little movement to be able to change what's going on to be able to safeguard the sustainability of this community. And that seriously affects whether or not I decide to stay here. Yeah, I can see it in your eyes. You're just sad about this. Um, yeah. It's it's tough to get people that are, we were talking about habits earlier, you know, the older, grumpy old white men or whatever, <laughs> yeah. to, to see a different vision because they've been going down the same path for so long. And then their idea may be uh, single purpose ideas as well. So And change is scary. And I, it's inevitable too. And the people that yeah. don't deal with change are the people that don't deal well. Well, exactly. Book. And that's where I'm so grateful that you've opened up your doors and let me come on here. Oh, my pleasure. Danielle. Because if anything, I am dedicated to being able to create the space to have that conversation. I want to be able to meet each person who has a concern about this project, about this island, about this community in a place where we can just listen to each other. I I know a lot of the people around the Triangle property. I've grown up here. I'm yeah. you know like <laughs> this is my community too and I my my grandma moved here in what 1952. So there You got some history? There's a lot of ties to it and I'm not ready to let go of the vision that I know we all have for it. And every single argument that I heard at the public hearing was, we need some sort of system in place. We need compost. That mm-hmm. was the overwhelming agreement. But there's going to have to be gives and takes and an acceptance of the reality that we're faced with. We don't have a lot of land. We're an island. Yeah. Why don't you think people don't do more home composting? I Our family does vermiculture. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's always the broken limbs and stuff out of the trees. But then there's tills for that. You know, they take mm-hmm. the, the yard waste there and they compost that stuff and do a really good job as well. Yeah. But the food waste goes straight to the worms. And that yeah. gets turned over pretty quick. Um, I understand being in an apartment might be a little different. But there's plenty of rural land out here. Why is there such a demand for uh, composting and what's keeping people from doing it at home as well? Because they don't want to deal with it and they don't know how. And the stigmas around it are that it's smelly and messy. And so it's a lot easier to just... And it attracts rats. Yeah. And it attracts, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, who wants to start thinking about that stuff when you can just put it in a bin and have someone else take care of it? Out of sight, out of mind. Yep. But I do also want to reiterate the fact that this triangle property is small scale. We want to have it as an educational space. There will be compost happening on it, but also we want it to be 
vegetable gardens, educational yeah, gardens, a, a, bike paths. Like it is to reclaim that land. And the only way that we're going to be able to deal with the waste on Bainbridge on a whole is to be able to have a lot of these small facilities pop up. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, we aren't taking a lot of the food waste. But, you know, like if we start, if we want to start having community food waste type of compost things where there's a couple of worm boxes here or there, you know, like that's that those are all steps towards what we're trying to get at. Well, this plan sounds like a holistic park Mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, like a pea patch, composting, bicycle path, educational opportunities. Totally. uh, Echo agriculture type situation. Mm -hmm. And I heard a complaint that, you know, maybe I think it's petty, but it's a legitimate complaint. All those disposal trucks backing up and it's beep, 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 beep. Somebody was like, I don't want a composting site there because I, I can't stand another backup horn. But it looks like this is a drive through plant. I was just about to say, we have two entrances and exits for that. It's a loop. They yep. drive in, drive out, all going in the same direction because – we get that. We want to keep residents as happy as possible. And I just figured a way how to fund this, have a little uh, coffee shack. <laughs> we would invite that. If somebody wants to start a little cafe on the property, by all means, come on in. Shout out we're, to Rose Garden there. Rose, I know. I love that little place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're working with the brewery. We'll be working with a couple of the cafes, taking their coffee grounds. Oh, yeah, all the and, hops, right? And the hops oh, and the barley. residuals. Yeah. And so... The community really is behind this, but I think that there's been not enough, enough useful information information for people to really back it. Like that poll that I did was fifty fifty. Yeah, you know that means how how many of these fifty fifty percent of people can can we swing our way? Well, totally. And, and I say our way because I'm on your team here. Well, thank you. I know I'm the bystander that. with no opinion, but uh, <laughs> this this I have an opinion upon. I think it's an excellent idea and. I'm excited to see it. How how do you get it the land out of the grip of the state and the sand mine? We lease to buy. I know, but don't they have a lease for X amount of time already? Uh, that's already expired. We're in like a weird holding pattern uh, of not knowing. So where are we at with the city? Have you you've, you've taken have you taken a proposal to the city and put it in front of council? Oh, we've been working on this for three years. So the last step that we had was a public hearing, mm-hmm. and the planning commission was opposed. But that doesn't stop the project. We now go in front of the city council. And so once we talk to the city council, that's when we actually know what ends up happening. And I will also say that the majority of what we're doing with the city is just trying to open up the possibility of getting zoning and permitting to allow us. This has ended up being very specific to the Triangle property in Avatera. But I think the real discussion here is what kind of zoning and permitting do we have on this island? How do we change it? And how do we support a sustainable community? What's your initial thoughts on how the, how council will respond to this? I think that... As long as we present the facts, all of the facts backed back the idea that a compost facility 
is the best thing for this property. Or at least what I should say is that it is the best thing proposed for this property. Yeah. Everybody wants this property to change. Well, what about... Well, I don't know if you can build homes anymore on the island, but (laughs) I think there's a little bit of thought process that it'd be nice to put some houses there. So I saw that there was um, something on the agenda. I don't know if it went through Tuesday or it's going next Tuesday at council. Mm -hmm. But it says here the request is for a legislative review of development regulations, Mm -hmm. meaning a code amendment. To exclude two properties commonly known as the triangle property from a 500-foot setback that applies to waste transfer facilities and increase the allowed lot coverage from 10%. Um, Its zoning designation is residential, R0.4, one unit per 2.5 acres or 100,000 square feet. The comprehensive plan designation is residential. Um, Real quick interjection yes, while please. we're talking about this is... setbacks. I just also want to put this little factoid out there. Per both Washington State Department of Ecology and Kitsap Health, there's nowhere in the state of Washington that demands a 500-foot setback. In fact, their standard requirement is a 50-foot setback. And so... There's been a lot of numbers thrown out there, and I just want to make sure that that's super clear in terms of what kind of setbacks are actually regulated by Washington State. Okay. It says that an Environmental Policy Act checklist was submitted with this application. Um, Planning Commission review prior to City Council review, but it sounds like Planning Commission did review it and rejected it at this point. Um. No waste transfer facility operation shall be conducted within 500 feet of a property located in any zone district other than the R4 zone district. I can go on and on and on, but um, it talks about the history of it. Um, In 2007, construction began on the Blossom Hill, now Pleasant Beach. No. And I think really where the success of this project is dependent is on whether or not we become fluent in the history of this location and the proposed facility. And so what I saw with the planning commissioners was that they were not well educated in it. And that, well, that onus is on you guys to educate them, though, with the application process, we right? we have submitted more documentation <laughs> than really, I think, you could possibly imagine on the history of this based on what we hear from people saying that they have no clue because it's all public domain. And we took the initiative to go and find it, and we did our homework, but we also really need everybody who has a hold, a piece in this project to take it upon themselves to also become educated because there's no way that we're going to move forward in the direction that this community deserves if we aren't educated on what actually has happened and the proposal moving forward because our decisions 
really need to be based in founded fact to be able to have the necessary outcome that is beneficial for the community. All right. What else can we talk about here? How can we get people excited to to start supporting this idea? We have a petition going around so you can sign it. Where's that at? We have it on the Avatera website. And I can also share it with you if you want to put it out about. Um, I know a couple people. Yeah, that'd be good. But really, it's just also, you know, making sure that we are approachable and everybody involved with Avatera are happy to speak. Phil would love to have people come and visit the unit that's on his property. I think that it's great to be able to see with your own eyes what one of these things actually yeah. is and does and smells and looks like because um, that just gives a peace of mind. It's not the unknown then. Send me some photos too. I'll, I'll attach them to um, mm-hmm. this podcast. I will also yeah. put the links on this so you can follow along at home. Before I forget though, Avatera is spelled A-V-E-T-E-R-R-A and you can get it at avatera.com. Um, please go on. Well, we also have a fun little interactive video that walks you through the whole plan in terms of the different bike paths, the gardens, where we would have our educational center, how the units fit into the landscape and how the trucks would move through. So we've really tried to think of ways that can create that experience of what it would be like to actually have it there because... People are visual. People are so visual. And, you know, I also absolutely respect that those residents around Vincent Road have had a lot going on for a lot of years. And they don't want another blindsided change to the place that they live, which I get. Yeah, the city preaches about transparency all the time, but uh, not everything is clear as, you know, transparency really looks like. But transparency Uh, takes work. It does. And you got to want to look for the things that you want to see as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not try and react so emotionally. Try and give it some space. Be able to have a perspective and know what your own biases are coming in. Mm. You're talking some psychology there. <laughs> know your own biases. Is that how you said it? Biases? Biases, yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know what I'm biased about, but I'm sure I could not find out what I'm biased about. <laughs> you know, other than politics, maybe. Um, when do you hope to have this project launched um, at that site? What you, what's our goal? Goal? Goal is that we get it passed by the city ASAP. Uh, we get we get that letter email pretty soon here. In the next couple of days, hopefully not weeks, in terms of when we get to start meeting with, with the city council. Um, but it sounds like with what's going on in the agenda, we'll know more about the zoning and permitting mm-hmm. uh, type of decisions that are being made. And then we'll have more information to then fully pitch this project because at the end of the day, this project is dependent on those decisions. Now, this 
this project's up and running like a couple places already. Like mm-hmm. Carnation, the horse farm here, mm-hmm. Day Road. And, and then, Sonitas, California. And uh, Vashon. And, Is there one on Vashon? No. Um, but also in Thermal and what, what, what? Thermal outside of Palm Springs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. These are all horsey places. And so in my mind, it's like, oh, well, of course, the desert park in Thermal. Most people wouldn't know that. Um, these are very large scale, though. That's where they hold. What's the, what, you said this is small scale, and now you just said that one's large scale. What's yeah. the difference between small and large scale? Well, you know, for, visually, if I could oh, envision visually. this in my head, is that like 10 machines, or three machines? Because I have tonnage. I could give you tonnage, but that's a little bit hard to envision. Um, yeah, a couple elephants lined up. I, I can get it. <laughs> I okay. can dumb it down for myself. <laughs> well, like the large scale. Cedar Grove, does that ring a bell? Yeah, we um, at my son's um, preschool, BCNS. Mm-hmm. We used to sell Cedar Grove, and then Cedar Grove had some contamination problems, and yes, all of a sudden um, that was an interesting story. Yeah, and then there was massive smells coming out of the Everett plant as well, mm-hmm. so they got in a little bit of trouble. Well, and that's because they do batch composting, so they just explain that to me. To us, <laughs> yes. What is batch composting? Cedar Grove has a lot in here. Um, well, let's not badmouth them. Let's just talk no, about no, the no, t- no. different techniques. But it's actually like very – it's interesting because it's it shaped the direction of composting now. And um, the contaminants that you were talking about came from when the city of Seattle mandated household composting. And everybody was using the green compostable bags. And then mm. other plastic bag companies saw that all of a sudden green plastic bags were selling like no other, but they were really compostable, and that's why they were green. But then everybody started making green green plastic bags, and yeah. no one ever knew the difference. And so people started putting their compost in plastic green bags and then sending them to Cedar Grove. And you cannot compost a truckload that comes in if you eyeball it and guess that it has over 30% contaminants. And so Mm. all of a sudden Cedar Grove actually wasn't meeting quota for what Washington State Department of Transportation required for their contract. And so that's what kept Cedar Grove running was their contract with the Washington State Department of Transportation because they were the ones that were taking the materials, buying the material and doing landscaping along the roads and highways and all that stuff. And so Cedar Grove kind of got put between a rock and a hard place. And so they ended up just taking things maybe when they shouldn't have taken things. And that's when you heard about the whole contamination issue. Well, I saw it open some bags and there's like plastics yeah. and so, needles and some bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that whole situation. And they've improved quite a bit. They lost the contract with Washington State Department of Transportation. And it's more smaller private contracts and a lot more of them that make up Cedar Grove at this point. But the batch composting that they do is they just have a really, really, really big piece of property that's pretty much all cement. And they just line up this compost as strips that are about like 20 to 30 feet tall Mm -hmm. and just let it sit there. Put a plastic tarp over it with a couple of holes and just wait 
And so yeah. that's why it's so smelly. It incubates. And then the, the hotter it gets out, it stinks mm-hmm. more. Exactly. Let me ask you about this concept. I know you sell these reusable um, resources out, such as soil and, and such. Mm-hmm. Would there be a fee to take on people's food waste? To bring it in? Yeah. It would be a, a small fee, like a, a dump fee. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what are the, what are those facilities called where you just bring it in? It's like at the transfer station. Like, instead of having your um, garbage picked up at your house, you can just take it there, but then it's like five bucks. The dump, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Need to get better with my terminology on that one. No, disposal. I guess it's it is a disposal like a, fee. A disposal fee. Yeah. Yeah. Except like certain things like light bulbs and batteries. Right. They take those in for free, I right. believe. Well, and recycling's free. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's probably why it's costing millions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there needs that to be a price for our single plastic use, you know? Oh, totally. So yeah. I would be up for a recycling fee. I know BI Disposal charges me for my blue bin, right? Yep, they do. Yep, but that's also like a pickup fee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gotta check my bill. <laughs> right? This raises so many questions. It does. <laughs> like, what am sudden, I doing? <laughs> you start thinking about the services that you have. Like, are have, those actually services? Yeah. Pretty sure I could do it better myself sometimes. Well, that's what I said for 2020 was what I wanted to work on. It was sourcing. Mm-hmm. So now it's first started with ethical clothes. Thank yep. you, Rebecca at Shift down on Winslow. Oh, I got a Christmas present for my uncle there this year. Awesome. Never had been in there. Such like a cute it? store. Yeah, he loved it. It was a little hat. Awesome. I just got 24 shirts to make some bystander podcast shirts for some go. fans. And it's all ethically sourced butter soft cotton from Shift. Amazing. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I... When I had my matcha latte here, I was like, today, of all days, I got to swing by at Starbucks and use a <laughs> plastic cup, and we're talking waste, and brought my reusable aluminum water bottle, thinking I was all hot, and then I was like, oops. And I saw you staring at it, and I was just like, I'm starting to sweat here. <laughs> I've sourced the wrong thing on the wrong day. But yeah, it's like, what are we doing Um and I actually change has to come. Change has to come. And it's funny that you say that about I started sweating because I also don't want there ever to feel like there's any judgment around what Bainbridge is doing and what individuals are doing. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm free to judge and I'd be judged in my mind because I think, you know, peer pressure has a, a bad connotation, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes that pressure can unite so many people to go in the right way. It's like that one bird starts going south and they all follow it, right? So, yes, you must think for yourself and not have the mob mentality that you just join in with whatever large group is squawking the most. But sometimes, you know, that peer pressure is is a positive thing. I agree. I think I've used correctly. But I think especially Positive influence, yeah. yeah, like with sustainability and making more green decisions, I think the stigma around it has been somewhat judgmental. And I actually recently listened to a really interesting 
little podcast episode. Um, it was on a TED Talk. You sure it wasn't mine last year about the power of influence through peer pressure can save the world? Well, this was the power of gratitude. Ah, And nice. so with this, it's, you know, like, while you think about sourcing, well, think about the people that you should thank for it. And all of a sudden that leads you down a road of, <laughs> I'm not only thanking the person that just took my order at Starbucks, but I got to go all the way back to the farmer that is picking my beans to be able to get me this cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, yeah. when you become more conscious of saying thank you and expressing gratitude, you immediately become more connected to the systems that you're partaking in. Empathy for others, people. Yes. So I really, I am here with a great amount of gratitude and I want to create that space to be able to talk about it. And to try and strip down a lot of the emotional around it. Well, Avatar is welcome to come on here and give us an update or come back and express more. If we didn't get all the topics out today about this exciting closing of the circle at the triangle, um, you guys are welcome to come on and squawk some more. Well, thank you so much. And if anything, it's just been fun catching up with you again. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a long time. And I yeah. always thought highly of you. Um you're, you were one of the first houses I visited, you know, mm -hmm. and you, your family was very inclusive when we first moved here. And I appreciate that. You were a hell of a soccer player. And uh, the way you ran um, reminded me of one other girl that I coached in my whole life, Kendall Becker, who just didn't seem like her feet touched the ground when she ran. <laughs> it was so effortlessly. <laughs> and I got some foot problems and knee problems, and I'm real stiff when I run. So I'm always <laughs> jealous of the people that are the natural gazelles out there. I love it. Soccer is such a fun sport. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, I played in Ethiopia, played it in Peru, played anywhere. Just grab a ball. Awesome. Monday nights at uh, Commodore Gym, we play futsal. No way. Um, 7 o'clock. It's a $5 drop-in. And uh, if you don't know what futsal is out there, people, it's a Portuguese version of indoor soccer with no walls and the ball does not bounce and it's an odd size. Mm. So it's very skillful and played pretty much completely on the ground. And mm -hmm. We have about 30 people come out there and get two games going and love to see you out there. Yeah. Well, come check that out. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Monday's at seven. Um, Danielle, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I wish Avatar all the best. Um, you've been listening to the Bystander Podcast. Be kind. Ralph Rain, take us out of here. Yep, it's Ralph Rain. For your, for your brain. Ralph Rain. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Ralph Rain. Ralph Rain. Yep. Open my eyes into the world I came.
probably wanted to hurl me shame at their fake eyes like eight eyes. They spank me as I scream. Lord, it's wake me from this dream with a light tear barely gleam. And the night you hear the screams in the government fighting dreams. No one for peace, no one for me. Craziest ladies who watched their babies of iodine. Should I am fine like the print on a prenup? Though I felt my life consists of reading the papers with feet up, man. But I ain't tripping. Freeze up, it's on the papers, but it's pre-stuffed in your brain. Forget the name, forget the fame, faking as money's exchange. I think it's amazing how money can change. What you feel in your heart if you let it and regret it. You're in debt with yourself. Shit, man. Not even I can measure myself. Music is everything. We stuck in the measure of self, but Shit, I be hovering so the earth could just melt. I'm drunk off love, it spills on my shirt as I belch. Stacked in bottles on a never ending shelf. Stacks and models, I won't lie, I got no money, but my gold is in mine. And you can't ever take it from me unless I give it, but you niggas never listen. Just stay a puzzle, and I know that piece is missing. And stay a huddle, and it's at least forfeit inches. So I never forfeit inches, as in giving up. These magazines, they listen up about these fake ass rappers who just live it up and never helping their people. All there is to me, help is of evil. I never could relate. Silver spoons and ivory plate, the silver zooms just as reality shakes. How will you eat what's given on reality's place? I see bliss, no matter how reality tastes, these feet miss. Thinking that they carry they weight I change fate on how my mind gets carried away Time is carried by fate In the ocean regrets are carried by weight What's behind me as I'm floating at the perfect pace Then I'm moving now I know I'm in a perfect state Even if I tomorrow in the dirt I lay Selfless I know the shirt will say Help the hopeless and know this I never search for praise Search for days where we all will see That the earth will change Seen a homeless man And he said he only searched for change I said we ain't so different And it really hurt to say And I ain't tripping No, I ain't tripping. No, I ain't tripping. Uh-uh, no, not at all. No, no, not at all. Ralph Crane. 